0: If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16, if you would follow along. Then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what the person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours and your ignorance but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written you shall be holy for
1: i am holy father we thank you for this time and we ask you to use it in the lives of each one that's here you know the struggles you know the battles that each one is facing that's what peter's talking about in our text today so we ask you to minister and to meet the needs of your people through the grace that's found in jesus christ we pray in jesus name amen all right well if you're not already there please turn back to first peter Now just a real quick review, we're going through the life of Peter, we're now entering our third year in the study of this man, the man that we met in the Gospels who talked too much and said things he shouldn't have said and made promises he couldn't keep, that young man is gone. And now we have before us an old man, a man who's probably five years away from death himself who has finally become the rock that Jesus said he would be. Probably gray hair or missing hair. Glasses that probably don't half work in that day. But he is now the statesman for the church. And that's the man that we're listening to today in 1 Peter. So he started out in chapter 1, addressing people who are hurting and suffering and have lost a lot been run out of their homes, lost their businesses, and he did not give them a counseling session by saying, okay, let's look at what you've lost, let's look at how to deal with each one of these things. No, what he did, he fell back on doctrine. I want to counsel you and how to deal with your grieving and your suffering by falling back on doctrine. And then he moves because he wants us to rejoice in our suffering, and he gives us Reason after reason after reason of why we should be able to live above our suffering, our trials, our hurtings, and rejoice. Now, in verse 13, which is where we're we dealing with right now, he reaches a conclusion for the previous section. And we know that because the verse starts off, therefore. So now he's given us a conclusion. After all these other things, now this is what I have to say. And his statements are commands they're not requests the first statement he gives us the first command which we dealt with in detail last week is prepare your mind for action and you better believe folks living the christian life is a mental battle at times there are things in your mind and i mind that come up when we struggle with and we deal with and Peter said I know that and I want you to start by preparing your mind not your heart but your mind now the second command he gives us is keep sober in spirit now this reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control Whenever I do that by memory, I'm always scared that one day I'm going to forget it or leave one out. But I do it anyway. Nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. He's linking this to the fruit of the Spirit, meaning he wants you and he wants me to be totally self-controlled. Now, drunks have no control. When you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, You lack self-control. The prisons are full of people who committed something while they were drunk or while they did something while they were under the influence of drugs. They don't even remember what they did until they wake up, but yet they're spending years in prison because of it. the prisons are full of people. Someone told me 80% of the people in prison today are there because of something they did when they were drunk or under the influences of drugs. So, Peter's saying, do not become intoxicated with your thoughts. And we can do this. All of God's people can do this. We can be carried away with our thought life. Whenever a problem comes into our life, what do we do? Many times we'll jump to the worst possible conclusion. This is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And many times it doesn't happen. So, he says, do not become intoxicated or carried away. With your thoughts. How do you do that? Well one way you do it. Is prepare your mind for action. So he wants us to have a serious attitude. When we're studying God's word. With this in mind. I I had a quote from Chuck. Chuck Colson talked about. You remember after World War II. The Nazis were put on trial. And the trials were public. And people were able to watch them on TV. And he talks about a trial that took place. And a man that survived the concentration camps and was there to testify against some of the Nazis. And as he began to testify, Chuck Colson writes, He began to sob uncontrollably. Then he fainted, collapsing in a heap on the floor as the presiding officer pounded his gavel for order in the crowded courtroom. Was he overcome by hatred? by fear, by memories, no, it was none of these. Rather, as he explained to Mike Wallace, all at once he realized the man was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He was an ordinary man. I was afraid about myself, he said. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like him. And that's what the Bible teaches us, that we are all capable, capable of doing anything. So we must control our thoughts and prepare our mind for battle. So if something comes up and you want to go, you want to assume something or assume a negative or whatever it may be, and you don't have all the facts, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. What's this next command in verse 13? This next command is, Fix your hope, okay? Where do we fix it? He tells us on the grace of God. Now, folks, that's where our hope finds its anchor in the grace of God. Now, I told Neil I was going to do this. Now, he's going to have to live this down for a couple weeks, okay? You can, you can kid him about this and get him a hard time because I'm going to. Now, I didn't, I didn't hear it firsthand. Janie told me about it from Facebook. They were in vacation on New York on a boat. And I might get some of the details wrong because I haven't talked to him about it, but they wanted to slow the boat down and stop the boat. So Neil picked up the anchor and threw it in the water. Well, what he didn't realize was the anchor wasn't attached to anything. So they lost the anchor and the boat keeps going. Okay. Now, that's not, you, now, you need to give him and give him a hard time about that for at least a couple of weeks, okay? That's not the kind of anchor Peter wants us to fix our hope to. Our future rests in the grace of God. Where the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you. Paul says, think on these things. So he tells us to remove certain thoughts from our mind. Don't think on these things, these sinful things that can pull you down. Well, if you just stop with that, now you've got a vacuum in your mind. So you have to fill that. So, okay, what are we to fill that hole with what are we to think on and paul says in philippians 4 8 finally brethren whatever is true you hear a rumor don't go there it is a rumor whatever is honorable right pure lovely good report if there's any excellence if anything worthy of praise think on these things so Peter's telling us that for a Christian and this is powerful hope is commanded. A Christian is commanded to hope. So Christians should have a positive outlook on life. Now we I'm this is not idealistic and it's, because we're all fallen in our sinful nature, it's not something that you might do every minute of every day. But this should be the overall direction of our life is that we should have a positive outlook. And if we don't have that hope, then we're missing the point that Peter's making here. I had another quote. Let's see, where did I find that? This was from, from Jay Adams. Now he's, write, he ta- he's writing to counselors as how we should deal with counselees. Searching the Bible will also help your counselee to recognize how privileged he is to know all these things that the prophets and angels did not understand. That in itself ought to do something to help him please the Lord. And I think his point is right. We need to understand what Christ has done for us. How are we supposed to do that? Notice what he says in verse, th- verse 13. I want you to hope completely, in God's grace, entirely. He goes on to say, each trial calls for exacting biblical analysis, meaning each trial that you run into in your life, that's going to be different subjects, different themes, whatever's going on, each one calls for an exact biblical analysis to your problem. The Bible has something to say about that whatever you're dealing with. He said, analyze it in light of God's grace. He said, be level-headed or emotion will knock you off balance. And it will. It'll knock all of us off balance. And then we won't be level-headed. And he goes on to say, self-focus will distract you. And that's absolutely right. Now, as we move into verse 14, Peter assumes something. He assumes that you want to obey God's word. He assumes that. Then he gives us the negative. So let's let's read it. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So as obedient children. So if you if we do obey verses eleven through thirteen, then now We can do this, which is found in verse 14. So if you actively obey verse 13, prepare your mind, keep sober in spirit. spirit, Now we can move up to verse 14. And I'm going to give you one verse. And it it ties together. This is Paul in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your what? mind it starts with the mind not the heart so that you may prove what the will of god is that which is good acceptable and perfect so it starts with our mind and not our emotions so when you're in the middle of a crisis whatever it may be you have a choice to make is it going to be god's word or the world god's word Or the world. That is a choice that each one of us have to make when we find ourselves facing a trial. So, just like here with hope, we need our eyes, we need our mind, and we need our heart looking beyond the world. Now, many times when we find ourselves down and discouraged, and that's what we're focusing on, check yourself. Are you, have you, are you focusing too much on this world or and are you looking beyond this world to the next world, which is what Peter wants us to do? So he writes to us as obedient children. Now, notice also, Peter doesn't criticize his readers. He is assuming the positive. And that's something that we as Christians are to do. For some of us, it's easier than others. But when you hear something, we cannot assume, if you're getting it secondhand or thirdhand, that it's true. Because we are to assume the positive. So if I hear something about a brother or sister, I'm going to assume the best until I have facts and details that would prove that what I'm doing is not right. So we are, you and I are, God's obedient children. So today, are you a positive parent? Are you a positive grandparent? It's so easy to not be. I remember that one pastor I sit under for a number of years, and I didn't learn much from him, but I remember one thing he did that was a good practice. He said, whenever my kids ask me to do something, I I want to say yes. I try to find every opportunity to say yes because I have to say no so many times. So it's so easy in our lives to just let the world take over. And we have to fight that. James chapter 1, verse 22. The ladies will know this well from their Bible study. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. So what are you today? Are you someone that comes to church, hears the word, then walks out and it has no impact on your life? You you've checked the box for the week. I went to church, check, it's done. Are you a doer of the word or a hearer of the word? Someone was telling me, I don't remember who it was. I think it was somebody in this room that for some reason they were at a I think it was a Roman Catholic service. And it was a larger church and everybody's trying to leave after the service was over and someone uh he, he, he unintentionally pulled in front of someone and the guy he pulled in front of getting out of the parking lot, rolled down his window and cussed him out. And that's right after leaving church. So there's a man who checked the box. Yeah, I did my duty. I went to church this week. That's a hearer of the word. It's not a doer of the word. The word of God, Peter's telling us, will give us hope. And that hope will lead to obedience. And again, Peter sounds a lot like Paul. Romans chapter 2. The reason it sounds like that is because there's a pattern here. So Peter goes on and he says, do not be conformed. This is the negative. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. Be conformed to the pattern of Jesus. I lived with him for three years. I can tell you what his pattern was. Now, this has to do with ethics. So it's either going to be the ethics of God or the ethics of the world. That's one of the things we're talking about on Sunday night. We'll hit that again tonight. It's my turn tonight. Is it going to be the ethics of God or is it going to be the ethics of the world? And the ethics of the world are always changing. The older you get, the more you're going to realize that. But there's a big gap between the two. Came across this number. and Quite frankly, I don't don't believe this number. I think it's too high. But this is the report. Ninety percent of young people believe that premarital sex is okay. It's normal behavior. Bible, let's just say that that is true. That's normal behavior. All right, what does the Bible say? Ephesians 5, verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Don't even let it be named among you. Well, everyone's doing it. Well, God knows what everyone is doing. And God doesn't care what everyone is doing. He's talking to his people. God knows what people are doing. Ephesians 2, God says, Do not be conformed to the world. Be conformed to me in my standard and my word. So God expects our behavior to reflect the change That he has made in us. Now, notice that Peter is using that same put off and put on pattern that we just looked at a few minutes ago that Paul was using. All right, so how can we do this? How can you do this? Well, because we are obedient children. So there's a contrast here between, now hear me on this because this is where we're living today. There's a contrast here between. The obedient life and the feelings-driven life. The obedient life and the feelings-driven life. God expects His people to obey Him. Now, if we don't, then we are disobedient children. So we need to learn to obey and live above our feelings. And that's not always easy. Corey Ten Boom, who certainly has earned the right to speak to us on this subject, in a concentration camp, survived, got out, lost several family members. While she was in that concentration camp, she said, It's not what we desire, but what God requires. It's not what we desire, but what God requires. She was sneaking around. She couldn't get into the hospital to visit her sister in the concentration camp. So she snuck around and she looked in the window of the hospital and she saw them carrying away the body of her sister who had died in the hospital at the concentration camp. She saw that. And she writes, "Is not what we desire, but what God requires. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 9. Powerful words, Luke 9 23, where we read, and he Jesus was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, so what Jesus wants us to do is to take our desires and just nail them to that cross. Nail them to the cross. So at times, and this is hard for us, but at times. We must obey God even if we desire something else. Even if we desire something else. Because that's exactly what Christ did. He obeyed. Now, As we move into 14, Peter is assuming something else. He is assuming salvation on the part of his reader. So here's the negative from verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed. To the former lust, which was yours in ignorance, so do not be conformed, do not be shaped by and he talks about what how you lived your life in ignorance, lusts which were yours in your ignorance now i I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I remember some of my Greek, okay, but not to get too technical here, but this is in the genitive, which means ownership, possession of disobedience should be something that all believers own and it becomes carry characteristic of us of the child of god and this is one reason why repentance is so important because god's people are to be known as people who repent it should be common it should be regular it should be ongoing not rare and i was thrilled i wasn't a part of it but i just standing in the, and I heard something last Sunday night as people were going out the door. I heard one woman say to her husband, I need to ask you to forgive me for something. I need to repent of something. And she wasn't, it wasn't private. She was very willing to say it right in front of others because that is the way Christians are to live. We are sinners. We're saved by grace, but we're sinners. We sin all the time. So, repentance. And obedience should be two marks of a believer. This is how, one way how we tell believers from unbelievers. So the basic characteristic of a Christian is obedience. An unbeliever is characterized by disobedience. The unbeliever doesn't want to please God. He doesn't care. A believer does. So that's one way you can know you're around a Christian. Now, believers can do a lot of bad things. Think about David, what David did. Terrible things. Paul, Romans chapter 7. Go home and read it. The great Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Who am I? Now, we're all. We're all just like Paul. But you know the difference? Paul recognizes it. And it bothers him when he doesn't do the right thing. That's the sign of a converted heart. The unbeliever doesn't care. Paul is struggling. If you're struggling, that's a good sign. It's a sign that you're a believer. So now, Peter challenges us in verse 15 to be holy. This is the positive, verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. So your hope and your obedience have a practical outcome. You will be holy. Now the word holy means different, set apart. And part of this, when we think of holiness, maybe we think of seriousness. And there's a, there's a side to that. But part of this is the Lord wants you to enjoy life. He went, even, in, even in a woke culture of our country's going the wrong direction. I love this country. And it grieves me what I'm seeing. But he wants us to enjoy life. These people that he's writing to in 1 Peter, they've lost everything. And he said, I want you to enjoy life. Have fun. Be holy. Holy means, in this case, robust spirituality. Robust spirituality. Now, God is different from anything in his created world. And we are to imitate God in what we do. As Van Til said, we are to think God's thoughts after him. That's been one of the things we've been talking about on Sunday night. We'll pick it up again tonight. So God is holy and he has called us to be holy. A great book on this subject is R.C. Sproul's book. The Holiness of God. Tremendous book. And it's it's an easy read. I'd encourage you to read it. But this holiness and this fun in life isn't to be limited to a few acts. Our holiness isn't to be limited to just a few acts. Well, I've come to church, or I read my Bible, or I prayed. No, this is to be our life. This is to characterize every aspect of our life. Which means. We shouldn't be too comfortable in this world. Don't get too comfortable here. So Peter says, remember, you're aliens living here. Chapter 1, verse 1. And the last part of verse 15 is to characterize all your behavior. So we're to be different from the world. If you hear all the world's doing this, okay, they're doing that. We're to be different. We are not to be like the unbeliever in our lifestyle. We are to march to the beat of a different drum. All right, next point in your outline in front of you. How to make sense of your suffering. How to make sense of your trials. Only a godly perspective can change your anger. Only a godly perspective can change your depression and reset it on the fruit of the Spirit. To today. Do you think that God has left you? Do you think that God is mad at you? Do you think that God is punishing you? Peter's point here, if you're a believer, is that he is not. Being a Christian means, just in all honesty, that your conflict could get worse before it gets better. But ask the Lord to guide your thoughts, your mind. So that you can deal with the situation. It's, uh, it's, it's okay to pray and say, Lord, get me out of this situation. That's okay. But that should not be the first prayer that a believer would lift up to the Lord. The first prayer should be, Lord, help me to guide my thoughts and my mind. And then, Lord, if it be your will, deliver me from this situation. So Peter writes that he wants us to hope completely. Now, these little one words in the Bible are what trip me up sometimes. The word all or every, you know, he wants us to have hope, okay, but to hope completely, now he's boxed me in. Now I have to have hope completely or entirely, every part. So a hope that divides us is not God's hope. He's talking about a 100% focus on God and his promises. When there were Christian bookstores, you don't find them anymore, but when there were Christian bookstores, they were selling books that contained nothing but God's promises. That that was a great idea. Go through the Bible, look for God's promises, and then in your prayer life and your struggles and your trials, lift up those promises to God. Lord, you promised right here in this verse, You can hold God to his promises. It's okay to do that. Don't put your hope in a system that's not biblical. So be careful when you're talking to somebody, even if they're a doctor or a PhD or whoever they claim to be, even if if they claim to be a theologian or a pastor, be careful. Do not put your hope in a system that's not biblical. You know, I had this. I knew I could use it somewhere. Jenny gave it to me. It's not very long, so I'll use it quickly. The magazine in Newberry that interviews different people in the city and, and what they have to say. And so they interviewed of the three. They interviewed a pastor. Let's see. OK, he, he, this pastor, they ask him a question. This is the pastor of the Lutheran Church in Newberry. What motivates you in your career? His answer. Being able to share with people the good news that they are enough already in God's eyes. Read it again. Being able to share with people the good news that they are enough already in God's eyes. Seeing that freedom in people when they hear that news is amazing. That they are enough already in God's eyes. What do you think about that? Is the unbeliever enough already in God's eyes? No way. No way. The unbeliever wants to hear that they're okay. I've got my own simple lifestyle, and now you're telling me I'm okay with God? Great, that's exactly where I want to be. That's not what Peter is giving us. So don't put your hope in a system that's not biblical, and as you think about your problem, look for a biblical answer. Now, if your Bible is sitting on your home Collecting dust and the pages are all sticking together because they're still brand new. That's not going to work. You're not going to find those answers. It's as if Peter says, once and for all, set your hope. Come to a conclusion yourself that when a problem comes into my life, whatever it may be, this is how I'm going to handle the problem. This is how I'm going to face it. Because if you wait until the problem comes, it's too late. Prepare your mind to produce hope. So God wants all of us as his children to live in hope. Athletes train. Now, Braden was on the football team and the track team, and he would go to practice. Why did he go to practice? Because he was hoping that the future would be better than the present, that he would do well in the game because he practiced. Students study for a test. Why do they study? They have a hope that the future will be better than, Because they're studying and may get an A. I'd be happy with a C. But they they want an A. That's why they're studying. Because they believe the best is yet to come. If not, why study? So Peter says, therefore, prepare your mind, fix your hope. That's a military term. It's moving to a particular kind of action on the part of the believer to a required hope. A required hope, not just an emotional feeling. So we are commanded to live anticipating a living hope, verse 3, from heaven itself. Now, again, I'm not talking about every second of every 24-hour day because we're all we're all down at times and we all struggle at times but this should be the pattern that we that we're trying to live for so biblical hope becomes a spiritual reality the words of paul in that great chapter first corinthians chapter 13 where paul talks about these things and he concludes in verse 13 by saying but now faith and hope abide in these three So this is to mark the Christian's attitude towards the future. Your health is breaking down. You just buried a loved one. Country's going in the wrong direction. On and on we could go. This is to be the Christian's attitude to the future. Our hope is connected to our biblical faith. So it's trusting God's plan for your life and his sovereignty. We must trust him now for the present and for the future. In Peter's word, completely. See, that word boxes me in. It doesn't give me any room to say, well, I don't want to hope here. I want to be discouraged here. No, he's cutting me off. He's putting fences up where I'm to completely hope in him, fully, perfectly. No doubt about his promises. We all know uh, Romans 8:28. How about Romans 8:25? Romans 8:25, where we read, "But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it." your thought about this: hope is a form of worship. When you're hoping and believing in God, you are actually worshiping God no matter where you are. So this all ties together as a package. And it kind of falls back to the fruit of the spirit, the aspect of self-control. Preparing your mind for action, keeping sober in your spirit and your mind, fixing your hope completely on the grace of God. See, the mind is the door that controls your life. Not your heart, but your mind. So one thing we learn, we are not to be passive. We're not to just sit back. We're not to be passive. We are to think deeply and biblically. Go over in your mind what Peter says that God has done for you. And when you realize what Christ has done for you, folks, it will produce hope. It will produce hope. Now, if it's not producing the mind in your mind hope, then go back and start over where Peter did, read through what he's given us. Then when he says, "Therefore, he's assuming that you are now ready because of what he's given us already, that you now know what Christ has done for you, and it will produce hope. So we are commanded here to have hope in our suffering commanded to have hope in our suffering. So as you're caring for that loved one who's declining and going down day by day by day, we're to have hope in our suffering. Especially if that loved one's a believer. Stuart just passed away recently. From my understanding, from what I've heard from people involved, he did not suffer long. That's a blessing. A blessing. So J. Adams said, if you are not hopeful, you are responsible for your failure. If you are not hopeful, you are responsible for your failure. And he goes on, so don't blame God. Our attitude must be right. Now, I would just, again, qualify that by saying, yes, our attitude needs to be right, but still admit there will be times because of sin in our life when we will slip and that attitude will fall and it won't be right. But a believer is going to cry out and say, Lord, my attitude is not right. Help me. Once we're able to do that, then we can think in a sober way and be clear and not be focused on ourselves. Now, worldly hope is a desire. I hope that I win the lottery. Did you buy a ticket, Steve? No. But I hope I'll win the lottery biblical hope is a certainty biblical hope is our anchor that gives us stability in the storm of life so it's not the anchor that neil threw away with no rope okay this is the anchor that we're attached to that gives us stability in the storms of life and i thought about it i put it this way you can be a believer and you can be attached to the anchor if you have a 20-foot cord and the storms of life come, then you're going to be knocked around and blown down. You're going, to be, you're going to be all over the place. But the closer you get to the anchor, the more you can cut that cord from 20 feet to five feet, when the storms hit you the wind's blowing, you're not going to be knocked around as much because your connection is more it's closer. And you're tightly connected to the anchor. The closer you are to the anchor, the less you're going to be blown away. The last thought, biblical hope is an anchor that gives us, gives you, gives me stability in the storms of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Peter. A man talking to folks who have, in many cases, lost everything. And he gives them reasons that they should be encouraged. We all need this, Father. We're all facing trials of different kinds. and So I pray, Father, that you will connect us to the anchor and draw us closer to the anchor of Jesus Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.